I'm Tom McKinnon. And I'm Beth Bartell. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, December 20th, 2011. Coming up, we check out some high-tech stocking stuffers for Christmas, including what we've all been pining for, an automatic ditch cleaner. And we talk about a new health book just out for the holidays. I'm Dick Williams, one of the authors of that health book, and we all know how obesity is a big thing these days, and there's some big fat lies about diet out there. I'd like to talk about that. We begin to look at with some recent news in science. Get ready to throw out everything you thought you knew about material science. Well, and if, like me, you didn't know anything about material science, prepare to learn something new. Researchers at the Carnegie Institution in Washington, D.C. think they've cracked a metallic code that will reform the way we understand the Earth's magnetic field. Through experiments and a new computational model, the group found that FeO, or iron oxide, can maintain its crystal structure but change its material properties under high temperatures and pressures. They simulated pressure and temperature conditions from the surface to the core mantle boundary and found that iron oxide actually transitions from an insulating or non-conducting material to a highly conductive metal in the Earth's lower mantle. This is significant because iron oxide is a component of ferropericlase, which is the second most abundant mineral in the Earth's lower mantle. Now, what does this have to do with our magnetic field? The Earth's magnetic field is generated in the outer core, and researcher Ronald Cohen says the iron oxide metal will enhance the electromagnetic interaction between the liquid core and the lower mantle, providing magnetomechanical coupling between the Earth's mantle and core. So, he says this will change the way the magnetic field is propagated to the Earth's surface. Of course, this doesn't actually change the way the world works, but it does change our understanding of it. In other science news, on this day in the year 1900, an English physicist named William Du Bois Dudel created what may be best described as the first electronic instrument. Long before electric guitars or pianos, Dudel devised a way to arrange electrical wires and an arc lamp to produce musical notes, ranging from a low hum to a high-pitched whistle. He toured the country with his singing arc, and in 1901 it was so famous the New York Times featured the high-tech instrument. A Times reporter wrote that, thanks to this new electronic music technology, the time is perhaps not far distant when we shall be able to realize something of the grandeur of the morning stars singing together. And for all you gift shopping procrastinators out there, we wanted to throw out a few SciTech gift suggestions. For me, I've been doing electronics in a big way recently, so my top suggestion is the SparkFun Inventors Kit for Arduino. If you heard our feature on the Maker Movement a few weeks ago, Jeff Branson described how an easy-to-use Arduino microcontroller was revolutionizing the do-it-yourself movement. SparkFun, a local, a local boulder company, has put together a kit containing the Arduino and a bunch of other hardware to get you going with it. It also includes a project booklet. With this kit, you'll be sensing temperature and light and controlling motors in no time. Go to sparkfun.com to check it out. Giant microbes. Those are my vote for this season. I uh, just discovered them a few days ago at a 
gift store, or actually a toy store in Boulder. Um, you can find them online, and they are um, rather large versions of small things that are everywhere. You can find the common cold, you can find bed bugs, you can find um, some rather comedic things, um, which I won't mention on the air, but um, you can you can find the perfect microbe for the person you love or uh, just want to get a, give a good laugh to. And I'm Shelley Schlender. My favorite book for kids would be Logic Comics about science. It's an epic search for truth. If you have any child who likes Tintin books, this is the science version of a Tintin book. It's called Logic Comics. I'm Chip Granditz. I would say uh, uh, for an enterprising robotics engineer, Lego Mindstorms offers an intuitive graphical programming environment, a chance to use sensors and motors and stuff to make little devices that uh, obey the commands programmed to them and to learn how difficult it is to be a programmer because uh, electronics do exactly what you tell it to do and no more and no less. And staying on the electronics theme, I'd like to uh, throw out a book. It's called The Manga Guide to Electricity by Kazuhiro Fujitaki. Uh, you probably know manga is the Japanese word for comic, so this is a comic book, and it follows the trials and tribulations of Ririko, a high school student from Electrotopia. Well, she failed her final exams and had to do a summer school on Earth, and together with her tutor, Hakaru, uh, they're working to pass the exam. Uh, to quote the book blurb, if thinking about how electricity really works fries your brain, the manga guide to electricity will teach you all things electrical in a shockingly fun way. Uh, this one's also available from SparkFun Electronics. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Right now, you're listening to a song named The Happy Irrigation Ditch, which is actually the topic of our next story. It's about an unconventional stocking stuffer for that special person on your list. And this gift involves irrigation ditches. For more, here's KGNU's Roger Wendell. I have a great gift idea for this holiday season. What I'm thinking of is a self-cleaning trash screen for irrigation ditches. I know what you're thinking. You're saying to yourself that a self-cleaning trash screen is nothing more than a Rube Goldberg device. Ah, but you're wrong. Self-cleaning trash screens are all the rage around Colorado, especially in areas like Delta, Montrose, or Grand Junction, where they use a lot of irrigation or what they call ditch water. Self-cleaning trash screens are simple yet effective mechanical devices for removing twigs, branches, trash, and even small animals from an irrigation ditch before that same water is funneled into pipes, tubes, and sprinklers for use out on the fields. A typical self-cleaning device is comprised of a water paddle wheel, bicycle chain, and revolving screen conveyor belt. The paddle wheel is about the size of a truck tire, and the cleaning screen conveyor is about the length of an ironing board. The whole assembly is the size of one of those blue postal mailboxes out on the street corner. The self-cleaning trash screen device is mounted in a metal frame that's lowered into the water. The rotating screen or conveyor belt is set at about a 45 degree angle with ditch water running through the bottom third. That same running flow of water is also used to turn the device's paddle wheel. The half-submerged paddle wheel turns the screen conveyor belt by way of the bicycle chain. Any debris floating down the irrigation ditch is captured by the moving screen and lifted out of the water where it is unceremoniously dumped into a bucket or box at the end of the conveyor. So what happens is this. 
The moving water powers the paddle wheel, which turns the screen to lift the trash out of the water. Although it's not a perpetual motion machine, a self-cleaning trash screen requires no fuel, no wires, and no Wi-Fi connection. What you get are debris-free irrigation pipes and the perfect gift for this holiday season. For KGNU, I'm Roger Wendell. Thanks to Roger for that report. And if you'd like to see this amazing cleaning product in action, making an irrigation ditch clean and happy, go to our website, howonearthradio.org. I'm Chip Granditz. And with us in the studio, we have uh, Richard Williams, Dick Williams, a a local career scientist who has uh, written a diet book. And many people out there may think that uh, a diet book is an odd uh, fit for the science show. And maybe that's part of the problem, the idea that people think that a a diet book is not a scientific book. So that's my first question. Uh, How does a scientist, and and tell us a little bit about your scientific background, approach uh, writing a book about diet? Well, first of all, you want to take in the uh, the data that's out there and uh, analyzing it statistically in the proper way, or even better, would be to run uh, trials with different kinds of foods and uh, measuring what happens to the body uh, when people have different combinations of, of foods, which is now possible because of the computer is being able to handle so much more uh, data at the same time. So you were not able to conduct any trials yourself, so you did analysis of other people's studies, correct? Well, I did assist in conducting some trials okay. here with a group called Balance Point Diet. Okay. Tell us about that. Well, uh, we got about 30 people and tried to get, uh, get various ages and even out the uh, genders mm-hmm. and uh, put them into uh, separate groups uh, and, and, and have those groups chosen randomly. Uh, randomness is, is mm-hmm. the basis of, of all scientific trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we fed one group uh, a standard American diet with a lot of carbohydrates mm-hmm. and so forth. And we fed the other group a very low carbohydrate diet and one that had a high uh, content of monounsaturated fats, that's like olive oil, avocados, mm-hmm. etc., mm-hmm. and see what the difference was. And we found that the folks in the group that uh, that took our uh, what we call a balance point diet mm-hmm. uh, in the three weeks, uh, they tended to lose an average of 15 pounds. Wow, that's significant. And most most of the folks in this culture are obese, mm-hmm. and uh, and they <clears throat> they are because of what they eat and and their lifestyle. Uh, genetics plays an important part, and that was one of the things that I have wanted to see and, and look at scientific research to see how much. And it turns out to be about 7% of the result. Well, in fact, let me take this opportunity uh, to call you out on your teaser. You said, uh, okay. well, first of all, you, you mentioned that obesity is a big problem. And I know for a while Colorado used to pride itself on being the only state in the union to have less than a 20% obesity rate. And I think the most recent statistics have actually tipped Colorado beyond that point. So now there's not a single state in the United States of America with obesity rate of less than 20%. Uh, apparently, I think you're asserting that there are some misconceptions, or I think you said some big fat lies out there about uh, what it is that's causing this epidemic. So 
That's All right, right, let's hear what they are. That's right. Most people who talk about diet who do not base it on scientific knowledge, which we've had for over 50 years now, mm-hmm. will recommend low-fat diets. Mm-hmm. And uh, low-fat and produces less fat in your body. That sounds logical, doesn't it? But that's not the way it works. Oh. Fat in the body is produced by high carbohydrates. We know that scientifically. We have known it for some years now. So the food pyramid, which is, you know, the official USDA and uh, Health and Human Services recommendations about what to eat, uh, shows a food pyramid, although I think they recently superseded it. But for the last uh, couple decades, they've had this food pyramid. And at the bottom are are grains and carbohydrates. So you think that that is fundamentally a mistake? I think that's one of the big lies. Uh, And that's not they don't intentionally lie. This has been the common, sort of the common knowledge, but it's still not based on scientific fact. And and so there needs to be a new pyramid. The Balance Point has devised a new pyramid, and I present that in my book. The book is called Eating Your Heart Out, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we can literally eat our hearts out uh, by what we eat. Well, you know, I found your book a very odd combination of detailed analysis of, of the methodologies of scientific studies and, you know, the relationship to, uh, I think you said, rather than focus on weight, because everyone, when they think about diet, thinks about weight and how much weight you gain. Uh, you said the ultimate health indicator that you really wanted to focus on was uh, coronary heart disease and cardiovascular disease. And, of course, weight leads to that. And, and you mixed, uh, you know, scientific studies and citations with a sort of an odd conversational tone. So what sort of audience, what sort of person do you think is going to read your book? Well, I hope that the general public will be able to digest most of it. And I warn in the introduction to the book that, uh, you know, if you don't like numbers and you don't like these scientific ideas and all these details, skip them, but mm-hmm. uh, read, read on and find out uh, what it's all about. You evaluate a lot of like famous and well-known diet plans from like the Sky, Scarsdale diet and the South Beach diet and the Atkins diet, and you're somewhat, uh, you know, uh, merciless in your uh, evaluation of how you think they follow the scientific method. In that, um, the one of the things you say is a, a lot of the diet plans when when they they said grain and whole grains are part of a good diet. You said they were not aware of the most recent uh, science related to some of the effects that grains, even whole grains, and people think what people think of as good grains, have on the heart. Can you talk in just a couple of minutes? I, I know you have to give a very brief overview of what it is that scientific studies have recently shown about why grains can cause health problems in a lot of Americans. Well, there have been some scientific studies, and they're reviewed in several uh, journals, uh, diet journals, by the way, as well as uh, some some other scientific journals, that if you eat a lot of carbohydrates, particularly grains, uh, will irritate the insides of your arteries. Mm-hmm. They actually inflame the insides of the arteries, and then there tend to be some breaks that the arteries will will crack under the strain of the inflammation, and that's when the uh, uh, the stuff is called uh, to fill up those holes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that material then uh, contains some calcium, and so it's called card- hardening of the arteries in common parlance, uh, and atherosclerosis. And uh, there's ath- atherosclerosis studies in, in adult panels uh, have been available since the seven- 1970s and 80s, show that the additional amount of raw grains 
eaten, even even the rawest grains, uh, will inflame the insides of the arteries and cause uh, hardening of the arteries. And so you yourself really don't eat any grains at all then? Uh, I, I do not. Well, there's one grain that we can, we can all eat, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not available in the United States usually, and that's oatmeal mm-hmm. from Ireland. And if it's grown in Ireland, they're careful not to grow it near where wheat is grown because here in the United States, you'll grow wheat in one field and in the next field, there will be oats. Mm-hmm. And those oats will be get mixed up with the, uh, the wheat. Uh, and in the pollinate, cross-pollination process, and we get the same kind of lectins and the junk that we would get in other grains that, in those oats. So it's very difficult to get the right kind. But if you can get real Irish oats, then it's okay. A recommendation for Irish oats from Dick Williams, a local scientist, who wrote, Eat your heart out. Diet, lifestyle, and cardiac risk. This is How on Earth KGNU Science Show, and I'm Chip Granditz. Uh, one of the interesting things I noted when I looked through your book is you extolled the virtues of the you know the Mediterra- Mediterranean diet and specifically uh, people from the island of Crete, the Cretan diet. Um, And yet, and I think people for a while have known that this is considered a healthy diet. But here was the odd thing, that you you also mentioned the Inuit diet, the Eskimo diet. These are people that are eating, you know, really no vegetables at all and, you know, just seal fat. And yet you found um, some common themes. You were able to look into the science of it and find some common things of those diet that those people have um, low incidence of cardiac disease and and a, a good healthy life. W- what is the common theme there? Well, the common theme is low carbohydrates, practically none in the case of the U- Inuit. And there are a couple of scientists that lived with the Inuit for mm-hmm. a year or to, in one case two years and became much more healthy eating nothing but uh, blubber. <laughs> For those for those times, and you can imagine <laughs> that, that would, uh, and yet a, they were they came out more healthy, low carbohydrate, high fat, and and some protein, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter sometimes what kind of fat. Although there are different kinds of fats, monounsaturated fats are much more healthy, and I think you get more of those from from the fish and from the seals and in the Inuit diet, and that's all you get in the Cretan diet and. The traditional Cretans never heard of cardiac problems. They just don't have it, and they have the highest percentage of uh, healthy centenarians working out on those farms. Well, for those uh, uh, listeners out there that might be disgruntled to hear you say that, you know, grains as a rule are very bad, there are some things that people have thought of as being a no-no that that you say actually is very good. In fact, uh, uh, I snuck one of these little chocolate treats that you brought in right before the show, and I I have to say they're very good. In your book, you say chocolate. if you don't buy it in the form of like candy bars, chocolate right. is actually very good for your health. Talk a little bit about yes, that. Yes, raw cocoa, 100% cocoa, has some polyphenols in it that are that are similar in action to some of the polyphenols you find in olive oil, mm-hmm. and uh, and it has other kinds of uh, of very good uh, chemicals in and enzymes that your body can can make very good use of. Uh, they increase the amount of energy, and uh, people on pure cocoa have been shown in some scientific studies to actually increase their intelligence by by 10 points or so. Well, there you go. Well, so I mean, if you want to get smart. We say this is the show up. to make you smarter. So, <laughs> so therefore. All right. Well, as sort of a last question, actually, I want to go back to this idea of, you know, fats being bad. And that was something in the era that I grew up that we clearly heard, you know, fat, bad. 
And of course, when you get into the scientific details of things, it's never quite as simple as uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, one word statement can be. There are some fats. Uh, you know, you mentioned a difference between polyunsaturated fats and monounsaturated fats. When I was growing up, the the standard cooking oil was just corn oil or vegetable oil, and now it's gotten a little better. I notice if I go to a health food store in Boulder, it's hard to find just corn oil, and they they now um, do canola oil if you can't afford olive oil, although olive oil, you say, is probably one of the best. Yes. So talk about the differences in oils and fats and why some of them are okay and some of them are still not so good. Okay. Well, the monounsaturated fats, which you're mentioning uh, there with olive oil, also canola oil. Olive oil is better because it has some more polyphenols in it that are good for you. Mm -hmm. But uh, canola oil is good. Uh, for cooking especially, uh, particularly if you don't heat it too much. So you, mm -hmm. can, you can mess up a, a fat that way. But there are saturated fats, uh, and mostly in, in, in the meats, and the very fatty meats and so forth, that, that you wouldn't want to eat that much of. Uh, you can eat bison because there's very little of that in. And fish, of course, mm -hmm. and, where you ha and your fats are polyunsaturated by and large with the omega-3s and so forth. So it's different kinds of fats... And, and then there are uh, kinds of fats that have been manufactured, <coughs> like oleomargarine, mm -hmm. which in order to make it solid, uh, they, uh, they, they change the structure of it, and it's not healthy. I mean, I've heard a good rule of thumb is a fat that's solid at room temperature is probably not good for you. That's exactly right. Okay. Well, we do have a couple of minutes left in this interview, so I guess I'd like to sort of round it out by saying if there's listeners out there that say, you know, I have tried several diet plans, and they've just been... Uh, an exercise in futility and frustration. It works for a couple weeks, and then I yo-yo back, and I'm just starting to lose faith that there's any good solution. Um, take the last minute or two and say encouraging words, if you could, to someone about how they can get off that treadmill. Okay. If, if you keep your carbohydrates low and your monounsaturated fats high, you will eventually not crave. If you can go through three weeks, you'll not crave those carbohydrates anymore. You won't go for the candies. You won't go for the sweets. You won't like them. Mm -hmm. So that's my encouraging. Do it for three weeks. Stick to it and stay with your high monounsaturated fats and your very low carbohydrates. So you're saying after an initial adjustment period, it's not about um, uh, thwarting your own cravings. Your actual urges change. Exactly. Your body changes your whole... whole uh, metabolic system changes. Well, thank you. That's Dick Williams. His book is uh, Eat Your Heart Out, Diet, Lifestyle, and Cardiac Risk. For How on Earth, I'm Chip Granditz. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Tom McKinnon. Today's show was produced and engineered by Shelley Schlender. Josh Cutler, a.k.a. Techler, wrote and produced our theme music. And The Happy Irrigation Ditch was performed by, I'm going to do my best on this one, Zhang Sihua. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org. Podcasts of our show are available there through iTunes. Questions, comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911 for How on Earth. The KGNU Science Show. I'm Tom McKinnon. And I'm Beth Bartell. <laughs>